What's up? It's Casey here to let you know of something awesome coming up this weekend. Saturday and Sunday, which is April 17th and 18th, we have our second Behavior Bootcamp CEU event. So for all you BCBAs out there looking for CEUs, this will give you a total of 13 CEUs. It'll be two full days of boot camp of courses that are covering problem behavior, pairing, manding, and assessment. I know these are all very important things for BCBAs, especially new BCBAs. So if you're out there and you need a full weekend with SNABA going over all these important things and you get 13 CEUs, go to ceu.studynotesaba.com to sign up and save your seat. Also, if you sign up, there's going to be, we're trying to do this as most in real life as we can, like a conference, on that Friday the 15th, there'll be a free meet and greet, kind of happy hour-ish, networking, um, on Zoom. All the information will be provided once you sign up. So head over and save your seat today. We love you. Mean it. Study notes, ABA. ABA and a little X right away. It's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey. And we are together in Dallas Again. It may seem like we've been together for three weeks because this is the third episode that you're listening to, but really, we recorded three episodes in one week because we have our shit together. Can, Can you, you believe say it? ambitious? Can you say. You say ambitious when I say that. Oh, ambitious. Yeah, girl. Okay, so we're on episode 95. Episode 95, Casey, what do you have for us today? Episode 95. After going through shit, you can still strive and thrive. Thank you, Casey. Bump it on. Now. <laughs> I feel silly when we're in the same room. By the I way, know. it's a different energy of recording, guys, than when we're waiting for Casey's delayed ass lead and see from her cave in New Hampshire. So what's up? So before we get started, before I tell you anything, what's up, why don't you give us our review of the day? You know, we like to start the day off strong, feeling ourselves. I think it's time you get started. Give us the review of the day. All right. This one is from an Apple review from EGW16. The title is Love You Mean It. She, He or she or whoever it is. All right, y'all. These ladies just have it. You know that it factor that makes you want to keep listening, keep coming back. Yep. These ladies. It's fun, informative, educational. And did I mention fun? Keep up the great work. I'll keep tuning in. I like that one. Me too. Thank you so much for leaving that review. You rock. Thank you. Hope you felt no pressure to leave it. No. <laughs> Anyways, everyone, go leave us a five-star review. And if it's not five stars, don't leave us one at all. <laughs> You're literally like spitting outside. <laughs> I'm feeling really excited. All right. Um, I'm also excited for this podcast today that we're doing this topic. Um, I think this topic is super important to talk about and bring awareness to and super cool to bring in with ABA. But before I tell you guys this topic, Casey, who is our guest today? All right. So we actually had to reschedule this podcast because of the insane Texas ass weather that was, what, two weeks ago? Last week? I don't remember. Two Anyways. weeks ago. But by the time you listen, it will be hopefully beautiful weather outside in Texas. But there, when you listen to this, guys, there was that huge Texas snowstorm, which we had no effing idea what to do. All right. Today's guests were so excited to have Inasha Anglade, who is a BCBA she embarked on her ABA journey while she was in the fourth week of maternity leave from a job that was just a job. We know all, we know what that is. She wanted to make use of her psychology degree and be a role model for her then one-month-old baby girl, and that's what she did. Three long years later, she earned those four letters. She now regularly reminds herself to display her name as Inasha Anglade. MSBCBA. Trust me, I know it. So I do the same thing. I'm always like, oh, those letters are so fun. So she actually was survived domestic violence. 
She now dedicated her experience and education to make a change within a very real issue, silently plaguing society. She founded Laugh, Love, Live Again. She's a CEO and founder and is currently making strides to use her experience in ABA to help make a difference in the domestic violence population to reduce the acts of violence in intimate partner relationships, reduce the number of victims, survivors like herself, increase functional behavior in perpetrators, and provide early intervention for children in abusive homes to enrich their learning history. Her goal is to spread awareness of ABA and its applications, beginning from the youth and advancing to lawmakers, government, and other bodies responsible for policy creation in order to make those services and resources readily available for a minority population. Wow, girl, that is a lot. You are doing good shit. So welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. No, it's our pleasure. Stoked. Um, Today's topic we're going to be talking about is domestic violence. And before we get into it, I have to turn to a robot. hate when this happens. Just got to get into a robot real quick to cover what behavioral principles we might be covering. Here's our behavioral principles of the day. CMOR, responded and operant behavior, functional communication training, reinforcement, both positive and negative, punishment, functional assessment, act, intermittent reinforcement, extinction, behavior contingencies, motivating operations, and modeling. All right, since we're done with that, we can get into the show. So before, you know, we love to operationally define what we're going to talk about and with domestic violence. And Asha, you had an amazing, um, you wrote out a nice, beautiful, operationally, operational definition. (laughs) Good Lord. We'll get there. It's just a little while. It's a little rocky. Operational (laughs) definition. So can you tell us? Sure. I mean, I... I went through the trouble of um, operationally defining domestic violence from different perspectives um, because, of course, it's different based on who is in what position, right? Mm -hmm. So from the perpetrator's perspective, I operationally define domestic violence as any instance where physical contact is made with another individual with enough force to make an audible sound with enough force to cause an impression on the surface of the skin of another individual that may or may not leave a mark or lesion, or when vocalizations are produced that consist of threats, profane language, in addition to disparaging comments at a level of or louder than conversational level. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Do you it. want me to provide the examples and non-examples? Yes, yes. of course. We always give examples, non-examples. Okay, perfect. Well, not on the show, but we should be as So we an example. <laughs> right. I tried to make this as detailed as possible. <laughs> so an example uh, is a client grabs a partner by the neck for three seconds and pushes the individual to the floor. A sound is made when the individual connects with the floor. A non-example is client play fights with the partner, grabbing them by their shoulders and dropping them on the bed. So I have another operation, uh, operational definition for the victim. And any instance where a client receives physical contact from another individual, typically a partner with enough force to make an audible sound and or make an impression on the surface of the skin that may or may not leave a mark and may or may not elicit a fear response, any response that blocks or removes domestic violence behavior, any instance when vocalizations are produced toward client that consists of threats, profane language, in addition to disparaging comments at a level of or louder than conversational level. An example is client is slapped by partner and runs toward the bedroom. Partner yells out, yeah, you better run, you stupid expletive. <laughs> non-example is client is <laughs> non-example is client is given a strong hug by a partner partner says, I missed you so much. I love how you've written this in three perspectives. It's so amazing. (laughs) Um, From the witness perspective, any instance where at least two individual speaker and listener are within 
either or both auditory scope or visual scope where a viewer is audience to domestic violence as defined for both perpetrator and victim perspective. So an example is the client is in the living room and hears mother screaming for help and father telling her to shut up or I'll kill you. Non-example is client is walking behind parents at a park and sees both parents embrace each other. Now I have a fourth operational definition from an authoritative perspective. So this is like law, uh, law enforcement police officers. Um, when a recount of experiences are shared to the client that fit the operational definitions of either the victim or perpetrator perspective of domestic violence, in addition to local state law guidelines of evidence suggesting abuse has occurred. This includes, but is not limited to, observable marks and or lesions, recordings, audio and visual, textual messages, supporting claim threats or admittance of claimed violence. So an example of that is an officer responds to a domestic violence call, sees bruises on the victim's neck. The victim tells the officer they were hit by their partner. A non-example is an officer responds to a domestic violence call, sees torn clothing of the individual, and the individual tells the officer they just woke up. So the reason why I have so many different perspectives is because, like I mentioned earlier, domestic violence looks different depending on who is where. So if I'm a perpetrator and I'm abusing my partner, I see domestic violence as something totally different. If I'm a victim, I'll perceive domestic violence as different. If I'm an officer, I will see domestic violence as something totally, totally, totally different. And it's unfortunate, but there are so many different perspectives to domestic violence, which actually proves to be a huge barrier, especially for victims trying to seek help. I was going to say that last one, like the authoritative perspective, that non-example, like I feel like that could be someone who's just afraid to say what had happened. Could be. But if a police officer responds to a call of domestic violence and that person says, oh yeah, like everything's fine. I just woke up, but they're actually too afraid to say anything. The officer can't do anything legally. Right. So maybe there is domestic violence going on, but they're not in the position to legally place an arrest or do any sort of intervention for that mm -hmm. person that could potentially be in trouble. Which is like the hardest part, I feel like. Yep. <laughs> so let's back up and let's talk a little bit. Do you mind sharing a little bit of your story? Like take us back, how you got into this, why, what your experience was? Yeah, no, I I don't mind at all. Um and I like to like put it out there because I like to share my experiences because it's like healing for me, right? Talking about this is therapeutic for me, but it is also triggering as well. And I realized that when I was putting all of this stuff together for the podcast, I had to tap back into that past because I try not to because those emotions are still there. But, you know, this is like a trigger warning for anybody who is listening and who might have gone through the situation themselves that, you know, you know, you could be going back to a place that you might not want to go back to. Um, so I was in a relationship with someone for like two and a half years on and off. And everything started off nicely. Everything started well. And, you know, he was nice. He was attentive. He was funny, charismatic. He had such a personality. He made jokes, made me laugh, whatever, whatever. And, um, you know, that turned pretty quickly, but I never really, I didn't want to see the signs when they actually happened because of the person that I saw in the beginning and the person that admittedly I wanted to see and I wanted him to be. So, you know, he would make small jokes here and there, maybe about my weight or the way that I looked and just laugh it off as just a joke. Like, why are you taking it so seriously? It's just a joke. Like, calm down. It's not that serious, girl. So um, little did I know that that was all part of that process of, you know, the, the gaslighting and having you just installing that manipulation and that control. So fast forward like a couple of years, um, I ended up getting pregnant. Um, but by then the abuse had, it. I was well into the abuse, financial abuse, 
uh, the emotional, psychological abuse, the physical abuse, it had all taken place. Um, but then I got pregnant. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm pregnant. There's like a life inside of me. It's his bringing as well. It's his creation as well. So this is going to help him change. Right. And that was not the case, <laughs> not the case at all. Um, we actually got to a point where I felt like really, really scared that I thought he was actually going to take my life along with my child's life. Um, and I mean, I could go over specifics about that night, but you know, we only have so much time. Um, but after that incident, I decided to leave. Um, I had some support from friends. Um, I saw, I actually spoke to law enforcement at that time. I actually made the decision to talk to law enforcement at that time. And they, they suggested that I pursue charges and I was still in the mindset of not wanting him to be in trouble. Like, oh man, I don't want to get him in trouble. I don't want to ruin his life. I don't want to put him in jail, et cetera, et cetera. Like he had all this stuff going on and I didn't want to exacerbate that whole issue for him and be the bad person. And I also didn't want to confirm this image of the bad person that he had already tried to make me out to be. So I left it alone. I stayed with my parents for a little bit and, um, then eventually we ended up getting back together, right? Common story. You leave and then you come back, you leave and then you come back. Um, and I, again, in hopes of him being a better person, I stayed. And also in hopes of my daughter being able to see like a mom and a father raising her in the same household, no separation or anything. I wanted to try to make things work. So I stayed until my daughter was born. And I was like, okay, this, this is going to be it. He's going to change. He's going to watch his daughter come into this earth. It's going to be a life changing experience. And especially since he has a daughter, he's not going to want to do that again to another female. He's not going to want to do mm -hmm. that to the mother of his daughter. No way. And then it happened again. So after that, I decided to make changes like okay this is clearly not going to work when you say it happened again i know you're like we don't have time to get into too much detail but are are you talking about physical like regarding physical abuse yes well usually it was both the verbal abuse and the physical abuse like oh you're ugly or you're you're nothing you think you're x y and z when you're really not plus mm -hmm. The physical abuse. Um, what he tended to do a lot was, um, like strangle. So he would put my his hands around my neck and strangle me. Um, he's put me into a chokehold a few times. Um, the night that I referred to where I was pregnant and it was like a really really scary night. Um, he actually ended up kicking me in my stomach region about like six to seven times with his. While I was on the feet, uh, while I was on the ground in the fetal position, among other things. Um, so when I talk about him doing it again, it's it's physical. It's it's always physical. Like, yeah. <laughs> so um, after Ugh. I get like riled, okay, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm listening. When I say it, I just I'm referring to you know him pushing me or kicking me or something physical. So yeah, after that last time I decided to leave because I didn't want my daughter to see her mother supposed to be a role model, right? Allowing someone to treat her that way. I didn't want to model that for my daughter, you know? And you know, when she's young, she's going to see everything. She's going to absorb everything. And if she sees from a very young age, okay, this is what my mom does when my dad says this or when he does this. So this is what I'm supposed to do when this contingency is in place. She's going to learn all the wrong things. So I wanted to model something more positive for her, something stronger, like you are a woman, like, let me hear you roar and mm -hmm. you can do all of these great things without, you know, someone putting you down. And like, I, and I always try to uplift her Every chance I get, I tell her how smart she is, how beautiful she is, how capable she is, how thoughtful. I try to always reinforce her with 
positive, positive things. And, um, so yeah, um, once, once I left, I made that decision to jump into ABA and based on my experiences, I wanted to help other people because I had tried, trust me, I had tried to go through therapy a couple of times. I tried to go by myself. I tried to go with him and it was not a positive experience for me. And it was because they didn't have anything to relate to me with. Like they had never been in that position before. They had no idea how to pair with me. So I, I, I had zero buy-in. What they were giving me, the tools that they were giving me, what they were telling me I was actually going through, it was not what I needed at the time. I needed support. I needed somebody to be there with me. I wanted somebody to be on this journey with me and really get where I was coming from. So I wanted to be that for someone else. And I also wanted to be someone that could help a perpetrator learn new tools to communicate more functionally. So that's why I decided to uh, embark on this particular journey. So that's so interesting that you, we talked about it and I forget what you called it. It was the, oh, perpetrator project. Yeah. (laughs) So like for someone coming from like the situation you were in, the experience you had with a perpetrator who was abusing you and to go through that and then want to help a perpetrator, like understand, like, can you explain that? Sure. So this is what I believe. The The core root of the issue is the abuse and the abuse is being dealt by the perpetrator. In those dynamics, typically the, the victim is the one that has that mentality of like, I need to fix you. You know, I get where you're coming from and I want to help you. So the likelihood of them going back to the perpetrator because they understand where they're coming from, they understand their situation, they love them or whatever other reason that can contribute to them going back is going to be more likely. Whereas the perpetrator They just kind of like sit back and chill and just wait for you to come back because they know that you're going to do that. So nothing really has to change. They can continue doing what they're doing and really suffer no consequences or have no accountability. Teaching those tools provides that accountability. Like I'm a strong believer that perpetrators need to come into contact with some sort of consequences because the way that everything is set up, they don't come in contact with any consequences. And the consequences that they do come in contact with, seriously, seriously delayed. Seriously delayed. Yeah. They actually come into contact with reinforcement more than they come into contact with punishment. So are you working with perpetrators? Currently, no. I have worked with a few perpetrators, like willingly. And I actually prefer it that way because... I get a lot more out of the perpetrators that I work with. Like, tell me that you need help, but tell me like, Hey, I kind of effed up here. I I hit my girlfriend and she's not happy with me. Or, you know, I put my girl in a chokehold and I don't know what to do. I can work with you. I can give you those tools. We can actually work toward like a goal that we set together and, there's more buy-in that way. There's more buy-in. So what are you like, kind of, what are some of the goals or what like some of the behavior principles that you're working on with them? I like to focus on functional communication first and foremost, right? Because you'll see like, of course you have to do like a functional assessment to see where the deficits are. Mm -hmm. And typically it's in communication. Like, okay, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. I don't know how to communicate that to you in a way that's appropriate. So I'm just going to put you in a chokehold or I'm just going to push you against the wall. So teaching them functional communication skills is usually high, 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 high on my list (laughs) of uh, goals for perpetrators specifically. I was going to say some kind of uh, appropriate alternative behavior, a differential reinforcement of alternative behavior. <laughs> yes, 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 you for know, I, sure. I think it's really cool and unique 
that you're working with the perpetrator or the offender because, you know, on the side of the individual who's the actual victim, you know, they're going to have a lot of healing to do. Obviously, there's behaviors you could work on to be like, um, you know, you need to get out of here, whatever it is. Then we could start your healing journey. Um, you know, I'm, right. I'm assuming when you work with the victim, you probably do some identification of like what's maintaining their behavior of staying, um, which yeah, you could correct me exactly. if I'm wrong, but I, I imagine it's a lot of um, that variable ratio schedule of reinforcement of like, you know, shit's, oh, yeah. shit's good for this one minute. He's calling me pretty. He loves me. He bought me a gift. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like he's totally changed. Um, to then again, it's like, mm -hmm. well, fuck, we're back here. Um, but it feels because they're <laughs> able to bring you to such a low place, um, and manipulate that MO that first of all, it's a lot easier to bring you to a good place because they've set the bar so low, <laughs> but, but also, right. It's I, like, almost like a drug, you know, like, okay, one more hit. They must've changed this yes. time. Or It's interesting that you say that because when I talk about it, I, I refer to, um, I refer to it as a drug because it becomes addictive almost and for the exact same reasons that you described. Like you never know when you're going to get in contact with that reinforcement. So when you do, it's just like, <gasps> Uh, especially when you've been in a state of deprivation for X amount of time, when you get what you're looking for, when you get that form of reinforcement, it's like everything to you. It's like moving mountains for you because it's been so long since you've had it. So the likelihood of you staying or going back increases because you just want just a little bit more from this person that you know has reinforcement attached to them because you've seen the reinforcement you've 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 felt the reinforcement you've heard the reinforcement so you know it's there you just don't know when it's going to come out so you just stay and you wait you stay and you wait and you try to do all this stuff to to be better or to act in a way that they want you to act or be this person that they want you to be so that they give you a bit of that person that you're hoping to see someday. Right. And I just want to add something in just for anyone studying for the exam while you're listening. This would be an example of a variable ratio schedule, meaning that let's say it's on a variable ratio schedule of 10. That means about every 10 interactions you have with this person, you'll have some form of reinforcement, the same way like a slot machine, right? It's like, I'm going to keep pushing. Mm -hmm. I keep losing money or I keep getting like, you know, coming into contact with abuse. But like when you win, it feels so damn good. It feels so good. Yes. So good yes. that you stay. So if anyone's tuning in right now and listening and doesn't really understand what a variable, like about a variable schedule, and I'm sure a common question is like, why didn't you leave? Like, you look at Anasha, it's like, you're such a beautiful girl. Like, what are you doing? Like, you could literally probably get any guy. You're beautiful. You're educated. You're this, you're that. But there is so much manipulation of that motivating operation. You know, that person increases their value so much to make you feel that you need them. You will engage in whatever crazy behavior it is to get that reinforcement from that person. And the idea, and one other thing I want to add in, and you could talk about this too, is I think people say like, well, why didn't you leave the second you saw him doing that? Or why did you get with him from the beginning? Um, I think people understanding individuals are smart. They are not just going to, from day one, be like, Hey Anasha, nice to meet you. Punch in the face, right? It's there. There's some bearing <laughs> there. <laughs> so, right, like that idea of it doesn't start like that. Yeah, it's it it's it's true. Um, when you first meet someone, and this 
it's, it's, it's the truth for everyone, really. They present their best selves, you know, first impressions are everything. So when I first meet you, I'm going to make sure that you see everything that I think you want to see before I start getting comfortable. So they have to get you on the hook before they actually show parts of themselves. And when they show parts of themselves, it's just, it's small increments, little by little, so small that you don't really think, okay, well, this is, this is who you are. Like, if you're making a small joke about my weight, you know, at first, I don't think it's you, it's going to turn into you just completely degrading me and cutting me down every single day, making me feel like I'm this, you know, horribly disgusting looking ogre. It's going to start off like as a really, really small joke. And you're just going to laugh it off as a joke. And if I seem a little bit upset about it, oh, it's here's your the guilt problem. trip. Like, okay. It's probably your right. problem. Right. It's exactly, exactly. Like, girl, so, take a joke. Right, exactly. And in doing that, it actually kind of conditions you to, it, it kind of <sighs> gets you used to those types of jokes in those small increments. So as they increase the, the intensity of the jokes, guess what? You start adapting to those jokes more and more and more. So when it turns into this big blowout where you are this disgusting, huge ogre, I don't even know why I'm with you. I can get any girl I want, et cetera, et cetera. You've already been conditioned to accept everything else leading up to this blowout. So, you know, there's nothing to really get upset about or complain about because everything else up to that point has just been a joke until it's not a joke anymore. And by then it's kind of too late because you've already kind of hit that climax. And you've kind of allowed that behavior to occur, right? And reinforced it. Now it's like really a strengthened behavior that they're like, oh, well, I can do this. I can try a little bit harder. I can do a little bit more. You know, she allowed this. Oh, right. Yeah. It's almost as if you're like uh, on a DRH. <laughs> or like you're shaping their behavior. You're just re right? reinforcing at a higher level. Yeah. And you're uh -huh. like totally yep. shaping up their behavior, like more successive approximations to their goal, right? Which is to cut you down and keep you and yep. keep you under their thumb and make you think that you're nothing without them. It's crazy. I, I went through um, exactly a, like a pretty experience, pretty similar to yours, minus I didn't have a child with him, but... um. I always think of myself as a very like strong, independent woman who like, I can't, I would never, like I saw my mom get abused and I'm like, I would never let that happen. And all of a sudden with like no kind of warning, even though now I look back and there were so many precursor behaviors and triggers that I saw, I was like that person who was being strangled and like my phone and keys were taken from me. Like he manipulated the environment to the point where I didn't have access to money anymore. I didn't have access to my car. I didn't have access to my phone to call anyone. And it's like, they're really good mm -hmm. at this, you know, manipulation of the, especially the environment around you to make me think like, he's all I have. So like, I just have to be okay with the fact that he may come home yeah. drunk one night and strangle me or like throw the vacuum cleaner through the wall or like, you know, push me or like yeah. wake me up and force me to have sex or like all these weird shit. And I'm like, well, that's it. This is my life now. Like, yeah, here I am. And now I'm going to marry him. And like, you just yes. get so like deep into it. I think that it can happen to anyone. And if anyone is listening, it's like, it doesn't mean that you're weak or it doesn't mean that you like are a bad person. It's like, it can happen to anyone. And when it happens, you're like, fuck, like <laughs> now I need to like admit right. to my family, this is happening. You know, I had to call, get a restraining order. And like, I, I remember just even seeing like, he was friends with some of the local police and like, I could see their eyes. Uh, like, I was, they, he was telling them stories about me. So I'm like going, trying to file uh, a restraining order. And they're looking at me like, uh-huh, like shaking their head. And I'm like, uh -huh. like you're not saying, yep. yeah, like I'm the bad one. And I'm like, my life at that point was just yep. so out of control where I'm like, he's turning everyone against me. Like, I don't even know what to do. It's so like, yep. so yeah, I've been there and it is, it's something that I'm so glad that you're using ABA to kind of kind of like, and it's hard because, you know, we, with ABA, we're always in working um, in autism and to like branch out to like, how can right. we use ABA to help with those that are going through domestic violence situations? Um, and you know what, like 
we right. talk a lot about this recently is that we always look at the objective behavior, what's happening, what's the antecedent behavior consequence, but there's a lot of other things, a lot of, um, you know, private verbal behavior and stuff, which is why I think ACT comes in so yeah. beautifully too yeah. with this. So, right. but right. so tell us more about like what, you know, what your goal is with your baby business and like you call it your baby. Clearly it's your second baby because <laughs> I know you have a real one. Um, cause Liat always says snap right. is for a baby and I'm like, you're about to have a baby. She's like, snap is my first baby. I'm like, no, no, no. When you're no, no. Snap is my first baby. Pavlov's my second. <laughs> and then this kid, hopefully they could take the place. No. Okay. That's not nice. Cooper's third. My other Frenchie. Then this child oh. hopefully could get position four. <laughs> and then Ellie Ron? Then Ellie Ron. Hopefully. Like, for sure last. <laughs> but I'm definitely like close to number one. Yeah. I, you're okay. definitely up there. <laughs> You've been paired with baby one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first I'd like to say thank you for sharing that because I know that it's not easy to talk about, even though you're not in that situation anymore. I can understand how that could still, you know, kind of take you back to a place that you don't want to be. And I totally feel you on the officer thing because I still have to deal with it every week and it's not fun. It's not fun when someone who doesn't know any better gives you those nonverbal cues like, uh, I don't know if I really believe what you're telling me right now. Or I just had a conversation with him. He seems like a good, decent guy. So, yep. It's like dismissive and you're just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's punishment right there, but that's a, just a whole different conversation, a whole different can of worms. But what I hope to do is to disseminate ABA, but specifically for domestic violence. Like, hey, this is ABA and this is domestic violence and this is how ABA can help in domestic violence. Like if you're a victim, this is how ABA can help you. If you are a perpetrator, this is how ABA can help you. If you are a child that is in an abusive home, this is how ABA can help you in hopes that it will shed more light on what ABA can do and provide other resources for intervention. So therapy might not, I mean, I think therapy is powerful depending on who you choose, mm -hmm. but maybe you, you've you come into contact with different therapists that don't really get your journey. They've never been on it before and you just kind of don't really want anything to do with it. Or maybe you don't want to kind of put yourself out there like, for some people, they have like this thing with insurance, like, I don't want to go through insurance because I don't want people to know my business or anything. I just want people to know that there are other ways of getting help as well. That's not like the typical uh, talk therapy route, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, that that's what I want to do um, with my baby business. I, I think that is so, so, so awesome what you're doing because, you know, when you, and I just think a different angle. So, you know, in the past, I don't know, when is it Casey? She's, I share every bit of my schedule with her. Um, Ellie Ron and I, oh, a couple therapy. months ago, have started this couples therapy. And since Casey's been staying at my house, she's seen oh. this new communication thing that we're working on. And it's like, okay, we would just fight, you know, about whatever it is. And I will say, like, my last two visits, like, you guys would definitely, you're, you've come so far. Like, there was definitely, like, fights, and you guys were not communicating, and you would come to me more about, like, what you were feeling. You wouldn't tell him, so I'm like, he doesn't know, and you would expect him to know, and, like, all these things. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I would not say there it was an abusive relationship. It was just, like, dude, we were not speaking the same effing language, and... So for us, like, it's really helped. Like, there's, like, actual behaviors they have told us to engage in. And it's like, you know, I considered myself someone very good at communicating. And so I'm like, well, he's got to get this effing work. You know, like, it's this is on him. Like, I've been in therapy my whole life. He's from another country, doesn't understand it, whatever it is. <laughs> and just this idea of that behavior analysis, I mean, this person's not a BCBA, but um, but you could put it into behavioral terms completely of actually teaching these behaviors of what you could do. 
whether the behaviors are socially significant to help you within a relationship, if it's salvageable, or if it's not these behaviors of how to get out or these behaviors of how to engage in a future relationship or, you know, like uh, just the idea of, I think people, again, there's been such a people, a straight vision of like ABA and autism, because that's where the funding is. It's like such a Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Or, or, or just like it's such a clear, um, you can see such a clear example of matching law that everyone's went and put their time and attention and behavior towards autism because there's not the funding is that's where it's focused. But the, right. the thing is that you see everything is behaviors. And for you to go into this, it takes someone like you. To be like, dude, this is all behavior. Like, we could do something here. And it, it, it's going to take that interest because initially people are going to go where they could feed themselves, right, a- as a result. So you doing this is so, so, so important and just mixing that ABA or, you know, that understanding of behavior analysis. And, you know, this, for anyone listening, this, we talk about what makes behavior analysis applied. We talk about socially significant behaviors. What behaviors are going to give someone a meaningful outcome in their life? And this is huge (laughs) to help someone get out of it, to help someone in future relationships. I mean, I am just I'm going on a, a whole rant now. I don't mean to, but I just think it's so important <laughs> what you are doing. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's definitely not easy. Uh, when I spoke to Jordan the other day, we were talking about how ABA has just been so pigeonholed to autism. So every time you think ABA, you think autism, autism, autism. If I want to be a BCBA, I have to work with kids with autism. If I want to be an RBT, I have to work with kids with autism. and we're not just restricted to autism. Yes, that's where the funding is now. You know, hopefully that'll change in a few years. That's what I'm going to push for as well. Like once I learn about like law and get rub some elbows with lawmakers and whatnot, but that shouldn't be something that limits our practice. And, you know, if we just keep ABA with autism, Everybody who hears ABA will automatically start thinking, okay, well, that's what they use for kids with autism. How can that help me? So I think it's super helpful and super beneficial for people in general and for the field of ABA to start just expanding just a little bit more. And, you know, it might require having to create your own route. It might require you stepping out of that box because it's it's hard to step out of that box. Once you start trying to apply ABA principles to something other than autism, you're like, wait, wait, I know this, but how does this relate to economics? How does this relate to animal behavior? Like, I don't know how that transfer, how that transfers over. It, you'll start realizing that it's a little bit difficult because that's what we were taught. That's what we were learned uh, in most programs. A lot of the examples and case studies include uh, clients that have autism or other developmental disorders. So, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's definitely doable. And um, I applaud anyone that tries to apply ABA principles outside of autism. Yeah, that ability to generalize it, um, these principles beyond the setting you were set. I mean, that's what our main goal as behavior bitches. I'm <laughs> I mean, doing the behavior bitches and study notes ABA is to be like, hey, this shit's real to real life, all of it. And it makes you like more fluent as a practitioner. Absolutely. But I think we're also so scared, a lot of us, of like the ethical code of like this idea of staying in your scope of competence or, you know, like breaking some kind of ethical. And so there's like a a fine line of like, I want to stay in with what I'm doing. But at the same time, you know, they're like, okay, well, if you want to further your, um, 
scope of competence, you got to get supervision. It's like, okay, but no one's doing it, you know? And so it's like this fine line of <laughs> yeah. like, I want to pave the way in this area, but I also want to like stay in my ethical lane. Right. Or stay in my hula hoop, as my couple's therapist tells me. She's like, Liat, stay in your hula hoop. Like, All right. <laughs> I used to love that like gym class game when they did that. <laughs> I also want to say, Anasha, thank you for sharing your story because like you said about me, like you are so brave. You, I'm just so proud of the fact that like, it is so hard to get out and I didn't have a kid, right? Like I didn't have, like, I can only imagine if I did have a child, it would be a hundred times harder to leave because you want that parent role model, mother and father, whatever it may be for your child. You want, you want to make it work, right? No matter what. And you realize quickly, thank God for your daughter's sake that like, what was the risk benefit analysis, right? Is it, how much are you willing to risk for what are you going to even get with him? Right. What good is your daughter going to get? So like doing that and being able to get out when she was so young, she's only going to be better for that and see her mom as this like amazing role model who she's going to be like, she's a badass. I want to be just like her. (laughs) And is no man going to put his hands on me. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) That's the goal. That's the goal. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for coming on. I'm sure it's going to help a ton of people out there because especially during this time when people are quarantined together, like they have been for the past year. I mean, I'm who knows what's going on behind closed doors. Who knows what's, you know, increase with the stress yeah. and the depression and people losing their jobs and taking out behaviors on, you know, the ones that they love because it's the easiest to do, right? Mm-hmm. We know that I'm meanest to the people I love, <laughs> which right. is not good, <laughs> but we need to like, <laughs> I think it will definitely help. Uh, we will put in the show notes, um, the national Do- domestic violence hotline phone number, um, for anyone and for anyone mm-hmm. listening, if you are in a domestic abuse situation. And remember, domestic abuse is not solely physical. Um, Please remember that. It is also emotional. Um, And so if you are in any space that you're- Financial. Financial. uh, Psychological, verbal, financial, and physical. Exactly. And if you're like, just like, I am not happy. Something about this is just not sitting right with me. First of all, I hope sharing this story makes you realize that you are not alone Um, to hear. I mean, even having two of you guys here right now to talk about your story and being on the other side, I hope that inspires someone to get the help and at least acknowledge that where you are. We will put it in the show notes, but I just want to let anyone know if you are in need of help, you could go to the hotline.org. You can have a live chat. You could also call 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. Don't give up. You are, you have hope you could get out of this. This doesn't have to be here forever as Anasha's um, Instagram and business is called Laugh, Love, Live Again. And I love that name, by the way. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And I just wanted to add that um, there is love after abuse. Like I know that uh, leaving my relationship and I've spoken to a few victims um, and the number one concern is like, okay, well, how do I move on? Like if I leave, like no one's going to want me, like I'm broken and I'm just in pieces right now. Like I'm, I'm crazy. I'm a mess, but that's not true. You know? Um, it's not easy going through that situation. It's hard, but as long as you have the support system that you need to just carry you when you need to be carried, it's going to make so much, so much difference for you. And you'll need that time to heal. Yes, you will need that time to heal. Everybody needs that time to heal. You've been through a really tough situation and those scars, emotional, physical, they need time to heal as well. But there is more for you after you leave an abusive situation and maybe that person didn't want you, but somebody else will, because you are treasured, you are desired and you are special. So there, there is love after abuse. I found it. You guys know how much I love my husband. Um, (laughs) And it took a little while to get through there, but 
you once you see what it should be like, you're like, wow, like right. It's a huge and you'll recognize difference. It quickly. If you've been through an abusive situation, you're gonna see it much quicker, and you're gonna get the f out of there much faster, and not let it even get to that point. <laughs> cut them off. So you've learned the contingency. Yeah, you right. are. So. Oh yeah. Oh, you've mastered those contingencies. They're in maintenance right. now. They're in generalization. Well, that was a beautiful message to end on. Thank you so much, Anasha. I'm glad we finally got this. This is going to help so many people. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, let us know how we can support you. We love you. Um, you're awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you guys again for letting me share my story and uh, share my baby business with you and everybody else. I really do appreciate you guys. And we'll also put her. Um, her way to contact her in her website in the show notes. So check it out. All right. You guys know where to find us. You could find us on the internet at behaviorbitches.com. You could find us on Instagram at behavior bitches podcast, Facebook at behavior bitches podcast. If you want to support us for as low as $2 a month to keep this podcast coming out hot every week, you can go to patreon.com slash behavior bitches podcast. You could also always leave us a review on the Apple podcast app, or you could send us a review anywhere because we need reviews to read, but it's just that I'm trying to grow this collection of podcast reviews on the Apple store. No Apple podcast app. So thank you guys for listening. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 